beginning, we're going to talk about what holiness is, what it looks like, and we want to properly identify it, and then we can learn from there how to be holy. Be holy. Matthew chapter 16, title of my message this morning is The Presentation. Jesus is not wanting to just come back for a church, but it said there in Ephesians chapter 5 that he is actually going to present the church. He's wanting to show the church off. You think of a, a man and wife when they get married. You know, that husband wants to show his wife off. He's proud of her. He's proud of who he's marrying and this relationship that he's getting ready to join himself in. And so Jesus is proud of his church and wants to present his church. And his church needs to be presentable. The presentation that we need to focus on in our churches isn't this stuff. This has to look good, yes. Because God requires excellence, even in the natural. Most of you probably wouldn't even be here today if this place had trash all over it, if the outside wasn't kept up, if it smelled bad, if chairs were all over the place, or if they were nasty, dirty chairs that had never been cleaned. You probably wouldn't be here today. Why? Because there's a presentation that has to be up to a certain standard. And we know that God has a standard that he requires out of physical buildings. Just look at what he commanded of Moses and the Israelites when they ended up in the wilderness. We've been reading that through our Bible reading plan. That he has some pretty high demands out of slaves, remember. These people were slaves. These people came from nothing. These people owned nothing, had nothing. And they come away with all these possessions, and now God says, bring them to me and build me a tabernacle. Build me a sanctuary that I may come and dwell in. He did the same thing with Solomon. Go read in Solomon the standards that he had for that king. He was using gold and silver, fine linens, fine wool, fine metals, fine wood, the biggest, strongest trees. He wasn't, he wasn't going and just cutting down just little bushes and let's put a stick here and let's put a twig there and let's, you know, just cover that up. He's looking for the best stuff in the natural to come and reside in. But now the Bible says, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are now the temple of the living God. God is still to this day looking for a place to reside and dwell in and make his home in, in this realm. And that's you and I now. And the biggest problem that we have is we think this is a holy place. We think this is a holy place. But this place isn't holy without you here. Because this can be an office. Somebody could open up a store. Somebody could make this a warehouse and manufacture stuff in here. This could be anything. We're the first ones to ever be in this physical location. 
But this could be anything. This could be a daycare. Evil could take place here. People could meet here to do drug deals. This is just a building. The only thing that makes this place holy is you and I coming together. That's why he said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. He didn't pick a physical location. He didn't mark an address and say, go to this address and, and I'll be there. He said, wherever you are. I means you could make Walmart holy. You can make Publix holy. You can make your, little, your, your, your kids literally games holy. Why? Because we just showed up and brought holiness to this place. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We've been looking at this. Jesus is building his church. That word my does not mean my as in belonging to. It means my as in attached to or a part of, connected to. So the church, first of all, has to be connected to the head. If you, a body without a head is dead. We are the body of Christ. But if we're not connected to the head, who is Jesus, who is the word of God, if we're not connected to this right here, and we're preaching stuff that's against this, or we're not preaching all of it, we are not his church. We're not the church. We, when we say church, we actually mean something different than what he meant when he said church. So we got to get his definition. The second thing we saw is that we have to be connected to each other. The church is made up of many members but is one body. Pastor Mark, I don't know what that looks like. Sure you do. You see it every day. It's your physical body. You are one body, but you have many different parts. You have fingers and hands and arms and a head and then you have parts of your body that you cannot see. You have lungs and a heart and a brain and kidneys. And they all function together for one cause. If any of them decides, I don't want to do that today, or I give up, I quit, you go and get it checked out and worked on. It's called surgery. It's called medication. It's called Going to a doctor and finding out why isn't this part of my body working in alignment with the rest. It's working against me. I need it to work for me. So the second part that we have seen in his church is that we have to be connected to each other. We don't have time for arguing and gossiping and backbiting and, and dissension and division in this place with these people. We're one body, one family, one common goal. That's to bring the kingdom of heaven to Valdosta. That is why you are here. I hope that's why you are here. And so we took a look at this. The past few weeks, we've been taking a look at the authority and the government of the church because Jesus did not come as a religious figure. He came actually as a political person, a government official. He came as a king to restore the lost kingdom of heaven and put it back in the earth. But when he died and went to the cross, he transferred all that authority that he had and gave it to mankind, but not just anybody. 
you have to, again, be his church. Because his church is the one that has the keys of the kingdom. His church is the one that should be binding and loosing. His church is the one that should be bringing heaven to earth. His church is the one that should should be bringing God's rule back into the earth. His church. Not just anybody has that authority. Not just anybody has that privilege. Lost people do not have the privilege and the benefit of binding and loosing things on this earth. They don't have it. Lost people don't have the authority to use the name of Jesus. It has not been given to them. Jesus said to those who believe, well, are you a believer? Amen. We are his church. So you have to be a part of his church. So we've been taking a look at that. I want to get into the purpose of the church, and that will shock you. I'll just go ahead and tell you. But I told you, I, I warned you at the beginning of the year when we first started this thing about six weeks ago now, six or seven weeks ago, I said, remove everything that you know about church and get it in this filter of the Word of God. I have not failed to give you scripture on everything that we have talked about up to this point. Period. You have scripture. You have the Word of God on it. If you argue with what's been said, you are arguing with what the Bible says. And so to this point, we have identified through the word of God what the church should look like, that he is only coming back for his church. We've taken a look at these things, that we have power, we have authority. The church is not powerless. The church is powerful because we are the body of Christ. He is the head, but the head doesn't do anything without the body. You try to go and do something you want to do without using your body. I dare you. You will be in that seat next week when we all come back in here. Because the rest of us are going to use our bodies to carry out what we want to do the rest of today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday. And then our bodies are going to carry our head back in here because we have to have a body before the head can enact and operate and implement anything. So you're saying Jesus needs me. Absolutely. God set it up that way. I saw someone the other day put something out on uh, Twitter, I think it was, that said, God doesn't need you, he wants you. Which is partially true. He does want you. He wants you so bad that he stuck himself to needing you. He wants you and wants a relationship with you so bad that he put a verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 that says, you have all authority, you have all dominion. I want you and I want a relationship with you so bad that I'm going to give you all authority over the earth, which means I have to have you if I'm going to do anything in that realm. And so he needs the church. He needs his body. To carry out his word. I mean, we've heard this stuff before. We are the hands and we are the feet. We are the mouth. We are the arms that reach out. You're right. But do we have a clear picture of that? That's what we have to look at. So I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. I want to get into the purpose of the church. And I want to get into why the church is here and what our common goal should be. But I have to cover some other ground first. We had to talk about authority. We had to talk about what the church looks like. If you don't even know what it looks like, then how are you going to know what it's supposed to do? How are you going to properly 
how I could give you the purpose of the church all day long, and if there's still arguing and backbiting going on in here, you'll never do it. But I have to go ahead and let you know that this is one common goal, and we can't have division in here. Or the purpose of the church won't even matter. That, that'll go right out the window. You won't do anything out there because we're so messed up in here. And there's a lot of churches that are like that. I speak from personal, personal experience. So Ephesians chapter 5, I want to look at this again. Verse 23. Actually, let's go ahead and go on down to verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So we see here that Jesus loves us, his church, and gave himself up so that we could be back in relationship again with him. Now look at verse 26. That he may sanctify and cleanse her. How? With the washing of water by the word. We're going to do some cleansing today. We're going to do some cleansing with the word. The word is going to cleanse us. The word is going to get some junk out. Get some junk off so that we can be clean. Verse 27 that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is the church Jesus is presenting to himself. This is the church that he's wanting to raise up in the last days and show off to the world. A clean church, cleansed by the water of the word, holy, without blemish. First thing I need to ask you, would God tell us to do anything that we were not capable of doing? No. He wouldn't tell you to believe him to be healed if healing was not available to you. He would not tell you to walk in love towards people that hate you if you weren't able to walk in love towards those people. And he wouldn't tell you to be holy if it was not possible for you to be holy. The number one thing we have to get out of our heads is that holiness is obtainable. You got to get out of your head, holiness is not obtainable. It is obtainable. You can be holy. For some reason, this holiness thing, we don't want to talk about it because only God is holy. Only God has the power to be holy. When we think of the word holy, we think of, uh, you know, not having any sin or never sinning. Those are the things that come up. When we think of holy people, sometimes we think of people that we don't really want to be around because they are holier than thou people. Right? People that act like they have it all together. Was Jesus holy? Was Jesus holy? Did he ever sin? No. Jesus was 100% man just like you and I. Bible says that he was tempted on all accounts. All accounts. He was tempted to sleep with someone he shouldn't. 
He was tempted to lie. He was tempted to steal. He was tempted to disobey God. He was tempted to bow down and worship the devil. We know of three specific temptations that came to him, but those weren't the only temptations that he came across in that 40 days. And throughout his life, as a child, he was tempted on the same accounts as you and I. Yet he was holy. He was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. He was holy. Living in this life as a man. So the first thing we have to understand is that holiness is obtainable. Holiness is obtainable. Here's the problem that we have, that we have to make this adjustment. The church is not a building. The church is the people. The church is not a building. The church is the people. God is, Jesus is not wanting to present himself with an awesome campus, with an awesome building. These are the things we look at naturally, but this is not what he's looking at. This is not what he's looking for. Jesus is wanting to present a people that are holy. Jesus is presenting a people group over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Let me help you out. Nation is not geographic. Nation is not United States of America in its land boundary. Nation is people. That's why we have pe- many different nationalities within our boundaries. A nation is a people. A nation is not a geographic location on a map. So he says, I am wanting to have a chosen chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy people. That's who his church is. So here's what we do. We come to this place. I, I, and, and I work with these people. They call themselves Christian. They say they go to church. In fact, I've worked with people that I went to church with. Down in St. Augustine, I got three different people, three different co-workers that I had to come to church. And they came to church on a regular basis. And they were completely different on Monday morning than they were on Sunday morning. The person that acts one way inside this geographic location and acts a different way in a different geographic location does not understand the concept that you are the church. You don't go to church. The concept of being the church hasn't quite registered in your mind yet. Because here's the thing. We make this place holy. And, you know, I remember back in the day, you know, there was a lot more reverence for these type of places. 
You didn't wear your hat inside of a church. You didn't smoke on church grounds. You didn't spit on church grounds. You didn't cuss on church grounds. You didn't drink on cuss grounds. I mean, it was church grounds. It was when you get on the church grounds, there's there's a whole level of respect and reverence that shows up. And we've lost that, you know, that, that's partly due to honor. And, and I, I'm going to show you, by the end of this message, you're going to understand the difference between legalism and holiness. I'm going to show you. So if you're thinking, oh, great, now Pastor Mark's getting all legalistic on us and, and we can't wear hats inside. I wear a hat in here. I wear jeans in here. Because it's about the heart. But we'll get to that. Because we like to use that. God knows my heart. He sure does know your heart. You better believe he knows your heart. He knows your heart better than I know your heart. And so we're going to identify what, how holiness comes out from the heart and is identified on the outside. But there was a lot more honor and reverence and respect for being in a church. But we have those everywhere. That's why military, when they go inside of a building, they don't wear their hat because there's still a level of honor there. If you went to meet the president, I promise you, you wouldn't be chewing gum and, you know, maybe have a cigarette in a hand and say, oh, hey, what's up? No, you would be dressed right. You would be have yourself put together and there's a level of honor and a level of respect and reverence because of who you're going to see. It's not about these walls. It's about who you're coming to see. But here's the thing. The Bible says that you are the temple of God. Oh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't do that at church. I wouldn't do that. You know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't talk like that you know, if I was at church. And they make this place to be the holy place when they forget that they are the holy place. God has come to live inside of you. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This place has nothing to do with your lifestyle. So we walk in here, and we act different, talk different, are different, and then we get out there and nothing's changed. Because we don't have the full concept. We are the church. We are the temple. And if I'm not going to do it there, then I shouldn't do it in here. The first thing we've got to understand, the church is not a building. The church is the people. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Well, if you wouldn't mind uh, bumping the air on. I don't know if the heat is still on, but we can bump the air on. This happens all the time when we get to this time of year. It starts out freezing and then ends up cooling off. John chapter 12, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness darkness 
cannot lead people out of darkness. Jesus said in another passage that the blind will lead the blind and they'll both fall into a ditch. The only way we lead people out of darkness is by becoming light. Now here's what this word darkness means. Here's what this word darkness means. It means moral depravity, immorality. Sometimes it means ignorance. If you don't know something, you are in darkness. But then when the light comes on, now we have come into the knowledge of something. It has to do with obscurity. And basically, you could bring it down to this, that darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. Uh, and, and this is where we'll be going in, in coming weeks, is light versus darkness. And we are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, I'll just read it for you real quick. It's up on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men. Watch this now. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world. And if you believe in me, you're not really believing in me. You're believing in the one who sent me. So Jesus came as a direct reflection of his father. You look at multiple times in the book of John where he says, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I don't do what I want to do. I don't do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me, the will of the father. Where he tells me to go, I go. Where he tells me to say, I say. What he tells me to do, I do. Jesus did everything his father wanted him and told him to do, therefore became a reflection of his father. And that's why he could say, if you have seen me, you've seen the father. The church today is a reflection of, of Jesus. We should be able to say, you have seen me, you have seen Jesus. Because we're the body of Christ. What was the key to Jesus' holiness? Obedience. What is sin? We've covered this. Sin is simply disobeying the word of the king. That's what sin is. We're not going to talk about levels of sin. We're not going to talk about lying versus adultery and cheating versus murder. We're not going to play that game. It's all disobedience to God. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. The key to his holiness, the key to his living without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, without sinning, was obeying the Father. If sin is disobeying the Father, then holiness must be obeying the Father. Now, we've got to talk about this righteousness 
versus holiness issue. Righteousness versus holiness. Let me define these terms. Righteousness in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is how you became righteous. For he made him who knew no sin. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus knew no sin. Jesus had never sinned. He became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. When did Jesus become sin? At what moment? What took place? When he went on the cross. And he died for the entire world's sins. Righteousness is immediate. You can write it down in your Bible. You can put it in the front. At this time, at this place, this person pray with me. I became righteous. How do you become righteous? You believe and confess that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again from, from the dead for your sins, and you make him the Lord of your life. Okay? That's called salvation, right? That's how you get saved. That's when you become righteousness. That's when you become righteous immediately. There's no progression of time. You are righteous. And here's the thing. Now God sees you in that. Righteousness is a position. But now here we get over to holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Whose responsibility is it to cleanse you? Ours. Why are we saying, God, take away this sin? God, take away this desire. God, help me not talk this way. God, take away uh, this hate that I have for that person. He says here, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Watch this. Perfecting holiness. So righteousness is immediately, happens Instantly, you come up here, you pray the prayer of salvation, you walk away righteous. That's your position in Christ. That is how God now sees you. Holiness, on the other hand, is the opposite. Holiness is progressive. Look, what that, look at that word right in front of holiness. Perfecting holiness perfecting and perfecting and perfecting and perfecting. Paul, over in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he calls it renewing your mind. I-N-G means present tense, means it's happening right now. I am being perfected every day. I am being perfected towards Holiness. Righteousness is on the inside of me. I am righteous, but now holiness has to come out because of the righteousness. Righteousness is your position spiritually. Let me say that again. Righteousness is your position spiritually. We are a three-part being. Spirit, soul, body. Everybody is. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. Righteousness is your position spiritually. But holiness is your conduct 
and your actions physically. We have to make this separation because many people want to say, well, I am righteous. I am holy. No, that's different. Righteousness and holiness are two different things. Why would he say that you would become righteous when Jesus died on the cross, but now we are perfecting holiness? You can't become one thing and still be trying to do that thing. You can't become 28 years old and then still try to be 28 years old. No, you are 28 years old. That's instantly. So holiness is being perfected in our flesh. Righteousness has already instantly taken place in our spirit. Do we understand the difference? You became righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. You become holy because of what you do with your cross. I'm going to have to tweet that one. <laughs> Let me say that again. You become righteous because of what Jesus did on his cross. Why did Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me? Why do we have to take up a cross if he went to the cross and became righteous? You know why? Because you still have a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions, and you still have a flesh that don't want anything to do with the cross. When you accept Jesus as your Lord, did you automatically not do and stop doing everything you used to do before that? Without having to try, without having to do anything? No. In fact, there might be some of us in here that are still struggling with some things that we used to partake of and used to do before we got saved. So righteousness is based on what Jesus did on his cross. But now holiness is based upon what we do with our cross. We have a cross to bear. And that's to become holy. That's to quit doing and quit sinning against our Father. Okay? You're telling me I don't have to sin? Absolutely. You don't have to sin. Holiness is possible because righteousness is available. Holiness is possible because righteousness is available. Righteousness is on the inside of you. Righteousness is who you already are. And because you have been made righteous, now you have the opportunity to live holy. So guess what that means? Lost people who have not been made righteous don't have the same opportunity you have to be holy. They can't do it. They can try all they want. They can put forth all their effort to quit their addictions and quit talking that way and quit acting that way and quit doing those things, and they will fail every time because it's righteousness inside of you that makes you holy on the outside. That gives you the ability. That's the side that we don't walk in a whole lot. 
Some of us are okay with just being righteous on the inside and never conducting our lives wholly on the outside. And Paul wasn't okay with that. The whole book of 1 Corinthians is written to a church of believers that were so jacked up and messed up in their minds that they were living unholy, although they were righteous on the inside. And that's why he came back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And said, I ought to be able to give you the meat of the word. But you are still gossiping and backbiting. You're sleeping with each other. You're doing all kinds of crazy things in service. Craziness is happening. You're not even mature enough to get the meat of the word. We still have to give you the milk of the word. Based upon their conduct. Not because he looked inside their heart or God gave them and showed them, okay, they're not ready. Their heart's not ready yet. And he said, you should be ready. You should be ready. What's that? That's a demand for holiness. That's a demand to be something different out there, not just in here, not just at 2314 U.S. Highway 84. If this is the only geographic location that you're able to control yourself and control your flesh, we have a problem because there is nothing special about this place. And then we may take it another level, well, it's only deer in service. So we can even come to this place on a Friday night and still have issues that we have. There has to be a change. There has to be a perfecting of holiness in our flesh. Yeah, we're going to talk about conduct. Yeah, we're going to talk about actions. Don't judge me where people want to go. You can't judge me. Let me ask you something. When you are speeding, who's the one that tells you you are speeding and that, it is that, that that action is against the law? Is it the police officer or the judge? It's not hard. The police officer, when you're sitting on the side of the road, how many of you tell him, you're not the judge. I want to see the judge. What does a judge do? The judge carries out the sentence. People say, and Jesus said it, don't judge other people. I would be judging you if I said, you're going to go to hell for that. That's your sentence. I'm not giving you a sentence. I'm telling you the difference between right and wrong. And we have thrown that out there so much that the church isn't even allowed to do its job and identify sin in people's lives. Sin is disobeying the king. If my son is headed for that highway, I would be an idiot not to shout at him, stop him, go get him and say, go the other direction. This is not safe. But yet the church has lost its ability to do that. We can't tell people when they're heading the wrong direction. We can't tell people. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It pays out in death. I can't even identify when your life is heading towards death. When you're doing something in your life that is heading towards death, 
well, you're just a man like I am. Then you have disregarded the position. And not just me as a pastor. A position brother to brother, sister to sister. I'm not talking past like I'm the only one that can call someone out if you're living in sin. We ought to be calling each other out. We ought to be saying, hey, what you're doing, man, that's wrong. That is going to bring death in your life. You don't need to keep doing that. You don't need to keep talking that way. You don't need to keep living that way. Look, church isn't the only place you should be doing that. We, we, we don't need to be talking that way out there. We are light in darkness. We are the light of the world. How are are we going to change the world if we look just like them? Ephesians chapter 4. I'm telling you right now, his church, the church that Jesus identified in Matthew chapter 16, identifies sin and deals with it. That doesn't put anybody above someone else. Because you know what? The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Me too. Surprise. I haven't lived my entire life without sinning. My goal every single day of my life is to not sin. Let me put it this way. My goal every single day of my life Pastor Mark, is to not disobey my Heavenly Father. That's my goal. That might be a high goal for some of you, but that should be your goal. That should be the goal of every believer. If it hinders my relationship with my Father, and if it's in direct disobedience to what He is telling me to do, then I'm not going to do that today. Because we made this holiness thing like, I'll be holy when I get to heaven. That doesn't say anything about heaven. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This is coming right off the heels of, and he gave himself some to be apostles and prophets. And then he talks about, you know, we need to be in unity. We need to grow up as the body into him who is the fullness of all, who fills on all. We're coming right off of that. And now watch what he says. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is world, people outside, in the futility of their mind, emptiness of their mind. That word walk can be translated live. He's saying don't live like the rest of the world in the emptiness of their mind, having their understanding what? Darkened, ignorant willfully disobedient, immoral, uh, moral depravity. Don't have your mind like them. Being alienated, separated from the life of God. What is death? Death is separation. And the wages of sin is separation from the king. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Keep going who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned, Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth 
is in Jesus. He says that he will cleanse his bride, his wife, by the water of the word. By what you've been taught. That you put off concerning your former conduct. Conduct. Actions. There's a demand for this. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was, recre- which was created according to God, watch this, in true righteousness and holiness. Why does he have to separate it out? Why does he have to separate it out? If we've always just made the two, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm holy, I'm righteous. I, I accept that Jesus as my Savior. No, he's saying your position on the inside and your actions on the outside should be lined up with what Jesus has done for you. And then he goes on. And he starts hitting some things, some natural ways to apply this. Therefore, Putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So don't lie. Don't tell a lie. That's simple. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. That means if you get angry and it causes you to sin or to do something that is sinful, then don't do it. Don't let the sun down, the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Oh, I thought the devil could just attack us anytime he wants. No, it says that we give him place. Don't give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace To the hearers. That means don't speak harshly to each other. Corrupt words. Words that degrade people. Words that tear down people. But speak words of grace. That impart grace to others. These are some natural actions. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all. Here we go. Bitterness. Wrath. Anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now watch this. We read the Bible, it's chapter and verse, and it's separated out. And we think that when he goes to a different verse or goes to a different passage or goes to a different chapter, that we're separating it out, and it's a different thought, but that's not true. Those are only there so I can find it. Because if I told you, all right, everyone, go to that part in Ephesians where he says, uh, you know, putting away lying, we'd, we'd be here all day long. But if I say go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, then you know exactly where to go. So there's a continued thought here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Keep on going. Therefore, That's a connector word. That means what I'm about to say is connected to what I just said. Therefore, 
be imitators of God as dear children. That's the one that instead of taking a highlighter, you want to take a sharpie and go over it. Like, whoa, okay, uh, all right now. Be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God as dear children. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He says that your life should be a sacrifice. You know what a sacrifice is? A sacrifice is something you don't want to give up. It's not a sacrifice if it's easy. He says, Bring a sacrifice of praise. That means praise him when you don't feel like praising him. Bring a sacrifice financially. That means I really need what I'm sowing, but I'm giving it away anyways. That's a sacrifice. He's saying here that our lives, we should be imitating God and it should be offered to him as a sacrifice, which means this is a part of me that is hard to lay down that I might want to hold on to. See, when we got saved, there were things that we were excited to be free from. But then there's those things that, you know, I actually kind of enjoy doing that. I kind of actually enjoy talking to that person. I kind of actually enjoy hanging out with these kind of people. I actually enjoy talking that way. I actually enjoy doing that certain thing. I actually enjoy watching that certain thing. But now he's saying, give it to him as a sacrifice. Be imitators of God to the point that your life is a living sacrifice. Well, that sounds familiar. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Offer your lives as a living sacrifice unto him. Now watch this in verse 3. We've got some more. We're not done yet. But fornication, which is this word fornication, doesn't just talk about sex before marriage. It's that he's covering all sexual relations that are outside of the proper relationship. All of it. Adultery, pornography, the whole bit. He's talking about all of it. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, covetousness, wanting what someone else has. Wanting, you want what someone else has because you don't think you have enough. That is a part of people's lives that they don't realize is a sin. In living in a way that I feel I never have enough. So I have to want what someone else has. Last time I checked, God was your provider and God was your source. So covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, the church. This stuff shouldn't even be named. This stuff shouldn't even be talked about, much less done. Lying, cheating, sleeping around, Committing adultery, coveting. Yeah, well, 
We're naming actions now. We're naming sins, the forbidden stuff that we're not supposed to talk about in here. I'm supposed to tell you that God is good and God loves you. He's got grace and mercy and he's so merciful. And no matter what you did yesterday, he's going to clean it up for you today. That's what I'm supposed to be telling you, right? This is Paul. He's not talking to sinners. This is a book called Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to believers. You know why he's not telling this to sinners? Because they don't have the ability to obey any of this. Not without first receiving Jesus as their Lord. But now you've received Jesus as your Lord, which means there's a different standard of living that we should hold ourselves to. There's a perfecting in our flesh of holiness that we should be trying to put these things down. And we'll talk about that. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, making jokes that aren't right, that are unholy, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous person, who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So he says, be imitators of God. Be his representatives. Reflect his love. Reflect his passions. Reflect his culture. Reflect who he is. Well, I can't do that. I'm just a sinful, fleshly man. No, you're not. You have been made in the image, in the likeness, with the characteristics of God. You can't take Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and not apply it to who you are. That is a precedent-setting event, which means every person that has been put on the face of the planet has been recreated in that image. Whether you actually use it and apply it is up to you. But you have the ability to be an imitator of God. You have the ability to represent his nature and his characteristic and who he is. The danger of not talking about this, the danger of not making a demand for holiness in people's lives is they get to a point where they don't try anymore. Let me tell you what that looks like. You keep doing it, and you're not repentant. You don't care that you just did what you know is a sin. You don't have a repentant heart. You don't stop and say, oh, whoa, I, I shouldn't have said that. Father, I, I'm sorry. I, I, want my, I want my talk, and I want my words to line up with your word. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We don't do that anymore. If we do sin and if it does come to recollect, man, I probably shouldn't do that. That's probably about as far as we get. And there's no trying to stop. There's no working towards getting out of that lifestyle and getting out of doing that thing and living that way and talking that way. There's no try anymore because the church has let it go. This holiness thing, we'll all get there when we get to heaven. 
It's not obtainable down here. We're living in the world that's surrounded by desires and temptations. And you know what? I'm just going to give in every now and then. I'm, I'm just going to. And there's no try to. You know what? I need to live differently. I need to not do that anymore. But this isn't that church. Because we're going to be his church. I don't know if any of you have ever been confronted on open sin in your lives. But you are looking at a man today that has been. And had I not been, I wouldn't be here. I thank God that someone brought me into his office one day and said, this cannot happen. I thank God that someone was bold enough not to look at that and say, well, you know, what, what, if, they leave? what if he leaves? Well, he, he plays a vital role here. I mean, if I, there's no one else that can do what he does. So if I confront this, there's the possibility he might leave and go somewhere else, which was my first response. I'm not going to lie to you. I looked him in the eye and I said, I'm probably just going to move back. Why? Because I was so entrenched in it that the offense came up. I was offended. Because he was the first man that ever looked me in the eye and said, you continue this, and you have no place here. I don't know how many of you have ever been in that position. I don't know if you've ever had to actually answer for a lifestyle that was unholy to the point we thought we could just keep doing what we're doing. And, well, you know, this is, that was part of my past. And, you know, I, I, I just got saved. Yeah, there, there is growth, and there's a growth process. But most people don't even, they, they just want to crawl. Most Christians just want to crawl for the rest of their life and be given a bottle for the rest of their life. They don't ever want to learn to stand up on their own two feet and, and take steps. And yeah, they might fall down every now and then, but my son, he's doing pretty good now. He can get up and he can walk and I'll let him go. And he uses a spoon. And sometimes the cereal might go over here or the, the pancakes might come down here and get all over his clothes. And now I'm like, now your clothes are all sticky. But he's a baby and he's growing up. But most don't even try to do that. Just give me the bottle. I just want milk. I don't want hard foods. I don't want to chew. I don't want to move my mouth. I don't want to move my legs. You pick me up. You change me. I don't want to do any of that stuff. No, Ephesians chapter 4 says that we should be maturing, growing up. So there's a demand for holiness. Sure, I wasn't excited to get that news. Sure, that wasn't one of the most exciting, happiest meetings of my life. Sure, for the next three days, my world was in an uproar, and what am I doing now? Sure, I had thoughts of how dare he But thank God I had the right response. Thank God I saw through the fleshly anger and said, you know what? You're absolutely right. 
That's not a lifestyle that is for believers. I'm not representing the church. I'm not representing my God. I'm not representing Jesus. And I have to correct it. Now, I didn't just say that. And things change. There's a level, there's a thing that we throw around loosely in the church called accountability. And that's the next level. We don't want to be accountable to nothing and to no one. And I'm telling you right now, accountability is the only way it changes. I'm telling you right now. Being accountable to someone else is the only way it changes. You will not and cannot do it on your own. There's a reason why in Galatians, uh, 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 is it Galatians chapter 6 where he says, if you see a brother in sin, go to them. There's a reason why that's there. That's because you can't do it on your own. And so accountability's got to be set up. Why? Because that's how you change. Sometimes we think just confessing the sin is good enough. Sometimes we think somebody else finding out, well, good, now, now it's not just me knowing, now someone else knows. Sometimes we think that's good enough, but no, there's accountability. There's, all right, I've, I've, I've got to get with you. You've got to help me get out of this. And accountability is not just if I have a problem, I'll come to you. There were people that, there's been people that have asked me to help them be accountable with Bible reading. And then they got offended when I came and asked them, hey, where are you at with your Bible reading? Whoa, hey man, I'm doing all right. You asked me to keep you accountable. Oh yeah, I mean, if I, you know, if I need help, you know, I'll come to you. Oh, now that's not accountability. <laughs> that's not accountability. That means I get to check in whenever I want, however I want, and get to say, hey, how are we doing with that? You came to me and said you're trying to stop doing this. How, we doing all right with that? That's accountability. Ongoing. It's because I care. I had to be accountable. I'm accountable today. People who are not accountable is dangerous. Because who are you answering to? Who are you answering to? And I'll go ahead and let you know this, that the person that came to me about a sin issue in my life, they only had to come to me because I overrode the Holy Spirit every single time. Because I already have someone living inside of me. Every single one of you, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and you have made him the Lord of your life, you are saved, you already have someone inside of you that every time you do that thing, he's speaking up and saying, shouldn't do that. Shouldn't talk like that. Shouldn't act that way. Shouldn't treat, your, treat that person like that. You got to change your lifestyle. I know people that have come to my wife and I and said, you know, I, I just I have this issue with gossiping. When I hear a story, I, I just have trouble keeping it to myself. First thing, 
Get rid of Facebook. Oh, no. No, I'm not going to play that game. Why are you going to put everything and surround your life with everything that's going to help your problem? I, I, I remember uh, 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 one person was having trouble quit smoking, to stop smoking. And even that now is, is that a sin? Is it not a sin? Well, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You tell me if it's okay to put that junk in, inside. Let me ask you this. Are you addicted to it? Could you stop right now? No. I mean, of course, they always think they can, and then when the, later on it shows up. So first thing we set up, accountability. I said, do you have a certain place that you go and where you buy that stuff, where you buy cigarettes? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, most of the time I go into such and such store, don't go there anymore. Go to a different store. Get out of the habit. You're, you're doing it so habitually now that it's just a part of your life. I go to this store on the way home. I pick up milk. I buy a pack of cigarettes. Go somewhere else. Go someplace that doesn't sell cigarettes. Change your habits. What are you doing to try? That's holiness. Holiness isn't saying you're a sinner. Holiness isn't saying I have sinned. Holiness isn't revealing it. Holiness is not doing it. Point blank. There are addictions that bind people and that have them locked down when we're the ones that are supposed to be in control. How are you going to bind and loose anything on the earth if you're bound by the very thing that you're trying to bind up? How are you going to take authority over something that's actually taking authority over you? Hey, it's the truth. We are here to rule over the earth. Yet this plant or this drink is keeping me bound. It's keeping me stuck. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Getting ready to close. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. Notice he starts out with be imitators of God. Here's the mistake we do. Here's the mistake that we make. When we're trying to not do something, we look at what the world's doing, and our goal is to not be like them. Not do that thing. You might have identified this morning something in my life that is sinful, that has me bound, that I've been doing, and I really haven't been trying to stop doing it. It's just been happening. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. And, and, and you might have that identified. And so your goal when you walk out this door is going to be, I need to stop doing that thing. Wrong goal. Wrong goal. The goal you need to have when you walk out these doors be an imitator of God. Here's the difference. Holiness is not looking at the world and trying to not be like them. Holiness is looking at Jesus and trying to be like him. Legalism, the Pharisees, the Sadducees said, I don't do that. And I don't do that. And I don't act like that. And I don't do what that person's doing. And Jesus said that they were a bunch of hypocrites and they were legalistic. 
That's what legalism does. Well, I don't do that, and I don't do that, and I don't do that, and I don't do that. And you have this list of codes, and you have this law, you have these laws and these writings that say don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. This is not a legalistic church. I'm going to go ahead and let you know. If you're starting to doubt that and question that this morning, I'm going to go ahead and set you straight. We're not a legalistic church because this church isn't going to preach don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. This church is going to preach be like Jesus. Be holy for I am holy is what God says. Don't stop trying to do things just because that's what the world's doing and I don't want to look like them. Stop doing those things because Jesus doesn't do those things. Jesus doesn't talk like that. Jesus doesn't act like that. Jesus doesn't treat people that way. Jesus doesn't respond that way. If your goal when you go out of here is, all right, I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to stop doing this, and that's it, then you never find out what Jesus looks like. If you go there, in Ephesians chapter 4 that we just read, and then you get on into Ephesians chapter 5, where he continues. Every time he tells you not to do something, he tells you what to do. He says, if you stole, steal no more. Okay, don't steal. But then he goes on. Let him work and let him earn for what he has so he can give away to those in need. He gives you the answer. Instead of being angry and sinning, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He gives you a response every single time. Why? Because it's not about not doing something. It's about doing something. Look, look, quit trying to not do stuff and start trying to be something. When you realize you are the church, then I won't do that. Legalism is all about what you do and don't. The church and the kingdom is about who you are. Religion points you to do's and don'ts. The church, his church, and the kingdom of God points you to who you are. It's not about what you do or don't do. It's about who you are. And because of who you are, I don't do those things. The doing is a byproduct of being. The actions are the byproduct of righteousness, the position. Holiness is a byproduct of righteousness. We have reduced Christianity today. Christianity today is a prayer. I'm telling you right now, most Christians today have less standards than other religions. You should read and study up on some other religions and, and the junk they do. The stuff they have to do. And our only standard is just pray this prayer and then we'll go to heaven. No, there's a demand. His church, his church places a demand. Being Christ-like is not a result of becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian is a result of being Christ-like. 
We use that we use that word and that term way too loosely. Christian. I'm a Christian. No, Christians are Christ-like. Christians are people that want to look like, act like, talk like, be like Jesus. You're not Christ-like because you prayed a prayer and got saved. You're Christ-like because you put down your flesh because you know who you've become on the inside and what I am on the inside looks different on the outside. We're making a demand. I'm not saying this week you're going to start getting phone calls. It's not about that. It's not about me. You're not trying to impress me. You're not trying to impress my wife. You're not trying to impress anybody here. You're not trying to impress each other. Because the one person that you should be concerned with who sees you, sees everything you do every single day of your life. Pastor Martin, does that mean I'm kicked out? No. (laughs) I'm only answering these questions because these are the reasons why we don't talk about these things in church. But you're looking at a man today that's been down that road. And I know how awesome it is to get set free from something. I know how awesome it is to be headed for a road with busy traffic that can kill me. And to have someone bold enough, brash enough to look at me in the face and say, where you're headed will kill you. You will die. You will be separated from your king. You will be separated from your purpose. You'll be separated from your assignment. You'll be separated from his will for your life. You'll be separated from greatness. You'll be separated from excellence. You'll be separated. I thank God he did that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not making light of sin this morning. I'm not saying that you should just walk out of here and never want to do it again. I didn't get into all that. I'm identifying that the church is holy. But I do feel by the Holy Spirit this morning. Maybe there are some people here that are bound by something. How do you get bound? By doing it over and over and doing it long enough to where you don't even know. And it's hard to break. It's hard to not go to that website. It's hard not to watch that show. It's hard not to talk that way. It's hard to not go and buy that thing. It's hard to not put that in my body. It's hard to not drink that. I'm not making light of it and trying to make it sound like you just walk out of here and never do it again. You get rid of sin by replacing it with something else. But I want to pray this morning for strength 
and boldness to take those on. I want to let you know that you can come to me. If you're a female, you can come to my wife. This is why we are here. We want to help you be accountable. We want to help you change. We want to help you be different. If there's something that you know, I, there's, I can't beat this. See, we, we get in here, and probably the thing that you're thinking about, you're thinking, man, I, I can stop. I can do that. Because you're surrounded by believers. You're in a place of strength. The Spirit of God is in this place. It's when we get alone. It's when we're away. It's when it starts to play in our mind that we think, man, I thought I had this. I thought I could put that down. I thought I could quit doing that. I want to pray for you this morning. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you stand up, come to the front or any of that. You know who you are. And uh, we are all in this room dealing with something because the perfecting never is a finalized project. There's always something we're growing in. There's always something we are maturing in. So I want to pray for strength over you this morning. Father, I thank you for every person here. Their desire is to be like you. Their desire is to be the church, the body of Christ. And there are things that are in our lives that have been more of a reflection of the world than they are of you. So, Father, this morning I thank you that you comfort them, you strengthen them, you let them know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan, you have no place in our minds. You have no place in our actions. You have no place in our lives. We take authority over you in the name of Jesus. Those things that you have been using to bind us up, to afflict us, to bring a stronghold in our lives, we loose it in the name of Jesus. I speak peace over our minds. I speak peace over our lives. And God, we thank you for your strength because you said in those areas that we are weak, you are strong. You said in your word, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. So, Father, we release that. We let it go. From this day forward, we will make every attempt in our lives to quit and to stop 